Good morning, good morning for those of you here and those of you online. Really, really glad to be with you, to be present with those that can be here and to share this with you at home. I wanted to start this morning by highlighting the kind of season we're in as a church globally. We're in the official season called Epiphany, which means ordinary time. And from now until Ash Wednesday, it's kind of a season that celebrates Jesus being present with us. And so the body of Christ focuses on some of the passages that talk about Jesus. And so it's, for me, that's one of my favorite things to be involved in. And so I'm excited for this next season with you. But I wanted to start today by reading Psalm 29. And if you guys that are present with us could stand during this portion. Really, the word is a gift. And so I think we can take this for granted that when we share and break bread together and when we talk about the scriptures, sometimes it can feel very static or flat. So I think you have to actually involve your senses and your mind and your body in the reading. I think that's the way it was meant to be. So I'm asking you at home and here to involve yourself that way. Anticipate that as we read these texts that they were meant to be living and that they can speak to us even today as alive as Jesus was when he walked the planet. And so, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all say glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So with our eyes closed, with our bodies and minds and spirits attentive, we worship Jesus in his house as his body. So we're with you, Father, and we're with each other, and that's active and alive. And so bring all of us to the forefront. Bring all of you to the forefront. At home, as people sit and listen, let their spirits leap within them. Let our hearts burn within us. Worship you, Father. We fully step into this. We celebrate today that we get to say to you, Jesus, you are the center. You are the king. We are yours. We humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. We need you, God. Even in a service just like this, we need you. We need you as we wake. We need you as we sleep. We need you as we prep. We need you as we work out, as we drive, as we eat, as we have friendships, as we drink coffee with one another. We need you, Jesus, to be center all year. If there's one thing that happens with our body all year, that we would be with you, Jesus, all year long. We trust you in that. We thank you that we get to sing with our voices now. What a gift to be able to sing with our voices to you together. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to transition into prayers of the people. I just want to note that at times it feels like we're going in reverse in our worship to do this, but I want to encourage you to recognize that we are not. This is worship. To move outside of ourselves into intercession for our world is the purest form of 
of what a worshiper and follower of Jesus looks like. So I want to start, if you can pull up the creed, Bill. I want to read this together within our body. Those at home and those here can read aloud. Reading together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell the third day, and he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy apostolic church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now with that in mind, as we move through these movements of prayer, what I want to ask you to do is recognize that sometimes the most holy thing you can do is step outside of yourself. And in a prayer space, to move into intercession is not to sit and ask God for a word for us specifically, but to pray for the other and the thing that's not you. And that's the call of the church. And so I move, as I move through these, these topics, think through it in that way. God, how do I partner with this? So I want to pray at first for the church all around the world. Every church gathering under the name of Jesus right now. God, that you would be the center, that you would be a drawer, that it would be a hospitable space, that as people step into the body of Christ in every nation, in every tongue, with every person, that you would be celebrated and a tangible influence in every service, drawing all to your table, Jesus. Let every body in the world right now recognize that Jesus, you are alive. Let every body in the world right now have a desire and a hunger for you, Jesus. Let every pastor and staff across this planet, whether it's for a church of three people or 30,000 people, submit boldly to you, God. Let every leader in every church and every organization that's under your name submit to the Lordship of Jesus in humility, recognizing that there can only be one Lord, and it's not us. Help us to be leaders, God, across this globe that look like you. Help discipleship to be brought back in, and not just leadership, God. All of the churches, let there be avenues for people to actually grow into your family, to move past the need for salvation into formation. Let this be the most discipled time in human history. God, we pray for this nation and all in authority. And my specific prayer today is that you would stir a hunger, the hunger that's within all of them that they don't even know how to label at this point. That every leader, the president, to every governor, to every person in control of anything in our nation, that they would have a hunger and a stirring and be drawn to you, God. Your spirit would draw them. Thank you, God, that you can do this. God, we pray for the welfare of our world and all those in it. We pray that we would steward this planet beautifully. We pray that we would steward relationships, God. Where there's striving, that it would cease. Where there's war, that it would cease. Where there would be peace, God. We pray for the peace of Jesus to permeate this planet. We don't even know how that can happen and it doesn't seem possible, but we have faith that you are bringing peace and reconciliation to the earth, God. And we get to partner with that. So help us to intercede even what we don't believe today. We thank you that we're alive in this time on this planet and that you're aware of all that's happening, God. We pray that you would raise up bodies of believers across this globe that can actually meet needs in cities so that cities don't have to be dependent totally on the government. God, the church would step into its role. We thank you, God, that you're bringing order in ways we can't see. And God, we pray for this pandemic right now, God, 
as many of our body is at home, I thank you for that avenue and I thank you that they can still be a part. But many are sick and many need to be healed. We also pray, God, outside of that for the isolation and for the loneliness that's also a pandemic right now. And I pray that you would bring in each of those scenarios, God, the presence of Jesus would fill those rooms and those places and those people and hospitals, God, and our families, those who are sick. We thank you, God, for this opportunity. And for this local community, Jesus, we pray that you would be the center of River City Church, that it would be most notably known for you, Jesus, that we would be a people that love Jesus with everything, God, and look like you. God, not to win an argument, God, but to walk hand in hand with our neighbors, to love them well. For all those who suffer within this body, God, we pray that you would bring healing. For all those who have COVID right now, we pray that you would bring healing. God, for anyone in our body that's in trouble right now, we pray that you would provide a way out, God, that you would give a way of clarity, Jesus. And for the next few moments, for any person in this room, if you have a prayer request, we would love it if you would share it even out loud with your mouth right now. close by praying for a couple of my friends if you guys would come up uh, kate and andrew martin are just friend i didn't even know they were going to be here but they're actually missionaries that we support and are proud to support and they are going to be doing some big things soon and we've already been praying but i wanted to give you guys just a space and, and share what you're going to do then we'll pray for you yeah we're um moving to turkey in like two weeks um and we're really believing for the middle east the whole region to come to know Jesus, which is like the biggest thing to say, but we're believing that young people would fall in love with Jesus and worship Jesus, and there'd be a new generation of Christians in the Middle East. Um, and so we have a team of like 10, we're with YWAM, the organization, and so we have a team of 10 young people, like we're probably all under 27, I think and um, new married couples and babies and we're just believing that people would come to Jesus that we'd make friends and that we would see young people worship Jesus in Turkey so yeah do you want to add anything yeah Turkey is the biggest unreached nation in the world um, there's 80 million people that live there and there's about two to six thousand believers in the whole country so that's like the size of like a big church in atlanta <laughs> um and what unreached means is there aren't enough like local believers to like self-populate and like evangelize the country um so that's why we're going because we want to like help them like see turks come to know the lord um but yeah who's this this is baby Thea. She's eight months old, and she's going to know Turkish better than any of us. <laughs> I don't think, I don't, I wasn't ready for the stash. I really appreciate you. You kind of brought it out. That's the things you don't see in pandemic, so. We're going to pray. Uh, normally, we would gather around you and lay hands on board. We're just going to pray from a distance. If you would like to share a word as we pray for them, I would like it if you just kind of said it out loud. So, Jesus, thank you for people who, like Mary, said yes. Yes, Father, we will go. Yes, I will do this. And now we pray for all the provision of the kingdom of heaven, God. There are things we don't even know that you can provide, but we pray for that. We pray for people of peace from day one, that as soon as they step foot on the soil, you're already ordering relationships one at a time, God, that they would take each relationship serious that they would foster and develop long-term connections, that they would walk at the pace that Jesus walks within the city on foot day by day, that they would not feel the weight of uh, an end that has to be met, but they would feel the weight of what it is to carry your yoke, Jesus. We thank you so much for their willingness. I, I, I 
And I just want to share with you, I sense the peace of Jesus will be, you'll be marked by the peace of Jesus. You'll be notice, it'll be noticeable within strife and turmoil, even on small scale ways, that the peace of Jesus will, will be something that mark your group. So if you guys have anything you'd like to pray for them, though, this would be the time. courageous path and it's um, a path that not people many people say yes to so I'm just praying blessings over particularly your family that the ministry and sort of this you're gonna be in a situation where life and ministry and marriage and parenting are all intertwined and overlapped and I just pray that there would be um, the right boundaries and that you guys would have places and safe places for your marriage and for your family and that that you wouldn't feel a sense of you have to sacrifice that for the sake of the call of the gospel that there would be just this health of all of it and even i just pray that you guys would be an example to other people to other young missionary families that that there wouldn't be burnout i just pray against burnout and um yeah, that there would just be a, a protection for all of you. Beautiful. Anybody else? I just pray and speak that you be embraced by the community that where you're planted and that there be the ordering of your relationships and that... Um, they will minister to you as well, that there will be a flow back and forth where you are enriched by them and they are enriched by you. And those that are, that there will be hungry people drawn into that orbit of con con connection and relationship and love. In Jesus' name. I just see you, or I think the people will see you as a fresh well of pure water. Almost like coming in the desert, it'll refresh you. But they'll look to you like that. And the words that you speak and pray and minister with will be water to them in their souls. And many people will be saved and brought to the kingdom. Some will be in hard places and you will bring life and love in places where they've never had it before. They'll they'll understand that Jesus is with you. And I believe through your prayer, through your intercession, and through the things you do, Jesus will show up in a big way. Many people will be in trouble in it because of the government and things like that, but you will bring healing and wholeness, even if the government doesn't like it. And I agree with the people that prayed that you'll have a, it's like a wall around you. It's like a, just a wall around you that when you go, you'll be covered, you'll be saved, you'll be not seen. You'll go around the corner when people are trying to find you and you'll not be seen. People that are looking for you will not see you. They'll go right past you. I pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. I'm just going to close with this prayer and then during our meet and greet i'd love it if you could just um if you'd like to ask how to partner with them how to meet up with them um how to get their information that'd be great but I, i'm just going to pray this for you because I, I as he was praying i was kind of sensing it so i saw you guys as you're going you were there's a river like this there's a river with you so i saw a picture of you there and i saw a river and i was like well i don't want them just have to wait to get there and i saw you on the plane and there's a river and I, you both had these cups and you were both drinking from it while you were on the plane and then a deer walks up next to you the deer is drinking from it and then as you're drinking from the river you're the river's going with you 
as you show up where you're showing up, you're still drinking from it, and then other people start drinking from it. And so the, I think that what, what's said there is that keep, keep focusing on drinking from the river of Jesus. And Jesus will bring the right people at the right time. And so, Jesus, we pray blessing, and we thank you so much that we get to walk with these guys and hear stories, and maybe in a year or two we get to go visit them. And so, in your holy name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. All right, all right, all right. So we're going to give some space over the next two to three hours for Mariah. Just kidding. She's going to share a word. I really hated that it took so long to get you here because you were planned, we planned on having you preach a couple weeks ago. But um, because of the pandemic, we had to push pause on all of that. So now we get just a blessing in the new year. And so I want to introduce you to somebody that's had a huge impact on the entire church from aesthetic personality. Her laugh fills a room. She is a fellow Enneagram 3, and we keep each other accountable in that a lot of times, but she's also one of the, um, one of the things I love about Mariah the most is her ability to see people and step in once she sees, which is, is not something everybody carries, so I really appreciate that. But without further ado, I want to give up the stage to Miss Mariah. Oh my goodness, wow. All right, this good? We're on? Awesome. Uh, well, I'm really excited to be here today. I feel super stoked. And I think Josh kind of has discovered the secret to getting me to say yes. He always asks me on spaces and times that are really important to me. So last time I got to preach on Creative Sunday about creativity and the collaborative process of spiritual formation. And then today I get to preach near New Year's and how to posture our hearts accordingly. And so today's message is kind of like a capstone message. It's not going to be anything new, but it's going to be kind of a conglomerate of everything that we've walked through this year and things that are super essential for you to understand as we move into our next year. I feel especially excited because today I just feel like this word is for someone in the room today. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I don't take that honor lightly. So if you will with me, let's just pray and invite the Holy Spirit in. So Father God, these are your people. And you love them much more than I do, and you will not waste a chance to tell them that. God, I thank you so much for the word that you have been teaching me over the past few weeks. I thank you for the divine timing that it was today that you wanted to speak to your people, God. God, I just pray for defenses to be lowered, that people can hear you clearly today that there's something in the words that I say that resonates and that leads people to seeing you more clearly. Get me out of the way, get my words and my agenda out of the way, and just do whatever you want. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so we just survived the holiday season. We had uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. And I know for a lot of people, Christmas is kind of like the shining star of the holiday season. But for me, New Year's is my favorite. And I know that's a pretty unpopular opinion. And so I kind of want to make the case for why New Year's is really great. See, this thing is going to drive me crazy. Are we good? Okay. Uh, anyways, so for New Year's, New Year's is kind of a time for hope. All of a sudden, we all posture ourselves towards dreaming and vision. Maybe you buy your planner with the good pens. I don't know what your good pens are, but mine are the G2 pilots, you know? Or if you are Christian, there you go, G2s. <laughs> Love them. These are good people over there. Or if you're Christian, maybe you start to pray for what your word of the year is. Has anyone started to pray for what their word of the year is? Do you have your word? Right. So however you chop it up, it's all about vision, renewed vision, growth, self-development. And so the Enneagram 3 in me just eats it up. And there's fireworks, which makes it the best day ever. So if it's not your favorite holiday, I beg you to reconsider. Um, and so there's something about New Year's that I really love. 
It's about people's posture to New Year's. And it reminds me that the heart of God is in everyone because there's something about the human spirit, whether you're Christian or secular or however you identify, that just like longs for shalom. We just like all of a sudden want the good life. And so in New Year's, we start to think, what does the good life look like for us? What does it look like for our family? And it's kind of like this global cry for revival. So it's very spiritual to me. And strangely enough, the process of New Year's and how we approach it is very close. It kind of mimics the process of a new believer or an old believer who's renewing their faith daily, which as that should be the process. Like think about it. So you have this new year and then you have new life. And then you get to declare that you are born again or you get to declare on Instagram, new year, new me, right? That's me. Did anyone do that this year? I'm proud of you if you didn't. Or you have like your resolutions and your promises to maybe finish the Bible in a year or start a new diet. And so you just have all of these hopes. Both are full with this idea of possibilities. And then what happens? So a few weeks in, you're still in Genesis and your Bible plan is in Exodus. Or you did whole 17 and not whole 30, right? So you like lost your momentum and you were so excited. So like, why is that? Why is it when your plans were so pure and noble that you seem to kind of fall off the bandwagon? So according to Google, you're actually not alone in this. In fact, 80% of people who do New Year's resolutions give up within the first six weeks, which isn't really surprising, but it is kind of disappointing because the majority of those resolutions are all about well-being. They're all about bettering ourselves, And so even outside of New Year's, right, because maybe you want to blame the holiday, when it comes to just goal setting in general, 92% of people never actually accomplish their goals. So these stats are like, according to the stats, we're pretty bad at sticking with our goals and bettering ourselves. It's like everyone's aspirations, but for some reason, we cannot seem to do it. And so what does that mean for the life of a believer? What are the consequences of that if we can't seem to live the life that God intends for us? Is it hopeless? Is it because of statistics that we now have, like, maybe permission to not try as hard and we can just, like, you know, God, like, look at the stats, like, you know, like, we're trying, but we're not going to do it? I don't think so. Because as I read the gospel, it runs off of the assumption that we can change. So if you went with me, let's just look up to the screen. We're going to start off with our first voice verse. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. And then later on in Ephesians, it actually commands that you be renewed in your spirit. But guys, renewed people do renewed things. So what is it that we're missing? What is the problem, right? So I think that some of the issue is is that we have taken much of our cues in the area of self-development and goals from culture in a way that we were called to be really different. See, culture wants to better itself for itself. It wants to do it on its own, and it wants to do it for its own agenda. But for the believer, we know that self-development and self-actualization and goals and all of that language, it's really all just like fancy language for sanctification. And so we know that we can't do it without Jesus, right? Jesus cannot be apart from the process of sanctification. It's kind of like impossible without him because Jesus is the model, but he's also like the way. He is the change agent. More simply put, you can't be like Jesus without Jesus, right? Like obvious. It seems so obvious to us, and you're probably like, yeah, Mariah, I know that. But when I look at the life of a lot of Christians, myself included, Jesus isn't really a part of the process. He's not really a part of my agenda. He's not really like changing the way that I spend my free time. He doesn't really influence my finances. At best, he's something that we have scheduled in 10 a.m. on Sundays. And I don't really say that with condemnation, although it sounds like it doesn't, it's a heavy word, but I think it's because we live in a goal-oriented society. And so for many of us, we have been given a goal-oriented gospel in which heaven is the goal, and all we have to do is like be good or pray the forgiveness prayer, and then we go to heaven, and then like that's it, right? Like it's just a goal and a sea of goals in one aspect of life. 
I used to always think it was interesting when people would say like the phrase spiritual life as if all of your life isn't under the authority of God. Yikes, right? And it, it actually, when I think about it, it's really reflective to how people think because we do have God so compartmentalized. We do have him as this far off goal that we get to have at the end of our lives. And so we've done a really great job of preaching Jesus as truth, but maybe we've neglected about teaching Jesus as the way and the process. So when I started sermon prepping, I wanted to talk about the practicals of doing life with God. I wanted to give you guys some tips and a rule of life, and it was going to be a very Enneagram 3 servant. Um, and then I had writer's block for like forever. Like I knew I was going to preach like a month in advance and I just couldn't seem to get past a couple of verses. And so I didn't feel released to give that message. And so as I started to come closer to the time that I was supposed to preach, I was like, okay, God, like, what do you want to say to your people if not the thing that I prepared? Because we're like getting close to it and I don't want to go up there and not say anything. And I don't want to worse go up there and say what I want to say and not what you want to say. And so I started to really get into prayer and press in of what he wanted to say to you guys this morning. And I got a sense from the Father that what he wanted to say to you is that you need to learn to trust him first. And so I think I was trying to put the cart before the horse, as we often do in religious communities. And so it's hard to talk about doing life with God until we establish that we can trust God, particularly of how it goes with the design of our life. And so this morning, that's kind of where I'm preaching from, is an argument of how we can learn to trust God. I think when I think of all of the mistakes I've made in my life, especially the big ones, they've all come from this lack of trust. They've all come from me going my own way or thinking that my own process was maybe better than what Jesus had for me. And so I think that it's really important that before we move on into a year's worth of sermons and really good things, that we all just kind of have this basis, right? And maybe for some of you, this sermon's going to be redundant and you're like, perfect and you've got it, whatever. Look at the screen. We all go together. Some of us don't. I'm one of those people. And so that's going to be our foundation today. So let's set it, right? So why should we trust God with the design of our lives? No place better to start than the very beginning. So Genesis 1.1, you guys don't have to look it up, you know it. Like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form. And so God creates all living life, and he is the origin of life. So God is the origin of life, so he probably has the most authority to tell us how to live it, Right? And if we were like better Christians, I could just end my sermon right there. Jesus created life. He should tell us how to run it. The end. But sovereignty doesn't always beget trust. So let's just dig a little bit deeper. Uh, if you would pull up our second verse. So in John 1, 1, and I'm going to read it from my Bible. It's going to be a little different than the screen, but feel free to look in your own. We're going to read this. So I was told that this was like, what did she say it was? The Kobe of verses in the lectionary? Apparently this is like a really great one and it's good. And I was really lucky to have it on my lectionary roster. And so I had to use it. And according to God, it was perfect. So we're going to read this one. So it says, before anything else, there was Christ with God. And he has always been alive and himself is God. And created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Eternal life is in him, and this life gives light to all mankind. His life is the light that shines to the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent John the Baptist as a witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is the true light. John himself was not the light. He was only a witness to identify it. And later on, the one who is true light arrived to shine on everyone coming into the world. And although he made the world, the world did not recognize him when he came. Even in his own land, among his own people, the Jews, he was not accepted. And only a few would receive him. So we're just going to pause right there really quickly. How interesting is it that the way and the life of Jesus is so radical that his own people didn't recognize it? If that gives you any insight to just how wild God is and how wild the kingdom is, the fact that his own people had prophecy and they were like, who is this guy, kind of lets us know that this man is like off the chain, okay? So put a little pen in that. We're going to circle back to that in a second. So only a few would welcome him and receive him, but to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. 
And all they needed to do was trust him to save them. And all who believed this are reborn. I'm going to read that one more time. All they needed to do was trust him to save them. And all who believed were reborn. Not a physical rebirth resulting from human passion or plan, but from the will of God. And so God became a human being and lived on earth among us and was full of loving kindness and truth. And so that's kind of the part that I want you to pay attention to. That's the part that really is going to be the first jumping off place in my second argument. And so Christ became a human being and lived on earth among them and was full of loving forgiveness and truth. So there's a lot of good things in this chapter. It honestly could be a sermon of its own. But the reason why I love this is is this exactly. So by choosing to come to earth and become a human, Jesus dignifies the human experience. We seem to have this idea that like being a human is sinful and God is just kind of like cringe at it. But Jesus literally chose to come and be a human. And I'm not really sure like why he chose to do that. When I think of people in heaven and like the planning, creative brainstorming meeting of redemption, there's a lot of ways that he probably could have come to redeem us, right? Like if I were God, I would have like come on a white horse, like clothed in glory, died for everyone's sins, saved the day, and then like been back in heaven in time for lunch. That would have been my idea, right? I don't know what he chose or like why he chose it, but like what I do know is he decided to come as a baby and fully participate in life. And so he modeled how we can live in our true identity and in freedom, and he gave us insight of how to design our life. And so we can trust him because not only does Jesus get it experientially, he chose it. He chose to be human. And that speaks volumes to the fact that he cares about this life and how we spend it. Guys, God isn't in heaven checked out waiting for you to come and then he's going to start to care about how you do things. He chose before to fully participate and he is still choosing to fully participate in the human experience. And so that's why we can trust him. And then later on in the book of John, Jesus gives this famous line where he says, I have come so that they might have life more abundantly. Another translation that I like says, to have life in the fullest way possible. And so we can trust him because his desire for our life in the here and now and to come is to be abundant. And that's a beautiful thing. I don't know where we got this idea of like Jesus having this dreary plan for our life or that he doesn't come up with good ideas or at least they're not as good as ours, but that's totally not true. I am so guilty of this. I'm guilty of thinking this all the time because whenever I have a big decision, my therapist, shout out Dana if you're watching, will always ask me this question and it's literally the most annoying question in the world. She'll say, what does Jesus have to say about that? And then she'll just lean back. Have you ever had Dana do that to you? For the people who see it, you don't have to raise your hand. That's probably like HIPAA. But um, she says that question, and I just remember thinking, like, that's such an annoying question because I literally haven't asked him. Like, I don't know what he thinks about that. Um, And I don't know why I wasn't asking him. I think I was hesitant to ask the Lord for advice because, one, I didn't want to wait on an answer. And then if I finally got an answer, who's to say that it would be an answer that I like? So I would just like make a plan and then ask the Lord to bless it. Has anyone ever done this? Is anyone guilty of this? If it's just me, you guys can pray for me after church. It's fine. And so as I think about it, we all do this, right? We make the plan and then we ask God to bless it. But when I think really, and I see it like from a further vantage point, it's so ridiculous because what good thing do we do that we think couldn't be benefited from having God a part of the process? Like, really, like, think about it. Like, what are you doing that is so noble, that is so noble, that God's opinion wouldn't benefit what you're doing? And so I wish I could say that, like, as strongly as I feel it, but it's just like, we want to work for God, but we don't want to work with him. And so, like I said, I'm guilty of this, and so I, and I confess that I think a lot of times I don't want to work with God because I think that his methodology will be somehow outdated or that it'll slow it me down 
or that he'll have something that's just so crazy and like, God doesn't understand my timeline. Like, my boss needs this on Friday. And if God, if you're going to take two weeks to get back to me, what then, right? And so I just like don't want to include him in the process. And this is more of a confession to you. Jesus already knows this. God already knows this because he talks about it in Isaiah 58, 8 to 9. Or Isaiah 55, please. And so Jesus goes as far to kind of speak on the issue where he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. And then we think, yeah, that's why I'm stressed. That's why I'm not asking you, right? That's why, because your ways are not my ways. And then Jesus says this very little cheeky statement that I love. And he says, um, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. How do you argue with that? Like, that's just good logic. So we can learn to trust God because he has better ideas than us. We can trust him with the design because whatever it is that he's going to do is going to be way better than what we were going to do. And Jesus knew this. This is why he says, I only do what the Father tells me. In fact, in John 6, 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of, those, of him who sent me. See, Jesus was brilliant, and he knew who had the best ideas, and it was his dad. If I am left to my own devices, whatever I accomplish, whatever is accomplished, wouldn't be as good as it would be if it was with Jesus. Because my vision is limited. It's so limited, right? Like, I'm working, and I'm striving, and I'm burning the candles at both ends, and I'm just, like, running myself ragged, and I'm like, I want profitability. And God's like, okay, I can give you profitability and sustainability. And I'm running through the world, and I don't have time for people, and I'm, you know, quick and short with everyone, and I'm like, God, I'm trying to be productive. And he says, no, but I've called you to be impactful, and so we have this very different vision of our lives, right? And so when I don't trust God, when, when I don't trust that he wants not only my good, but has a better way to achieve it, not only do I exhaust myself, but I jip myself of the opportunity of a divine collaboration and experience. And so when I think of all of the cool things that Jesus is doing, it feels insane that I don't want to partner with him, but that is often my truth. And as beautiful as it is what he's able to do, it's easy to not trust God and include him in the process, right? Because we have such strong opinions of what our life should look like. We have this need for control. We have these timelines. We want our life to be free of difficulty as a way that we deem something as difficult. And so there are these seasons in which maybe you've had this experience where you're following after God and it's led you to even a harder place. Maybe you turned down a job or you stood up for the right thing or you said no to a relationship and then you feel like you're in a worse place than where you started. And it sticks with us and we just have this even harder time coming to God, right? And while all of that may seem true, while it may seem that you're worse off in the meantime, there's something that really anchors me that even though I don't understand God's plan or his design sometimes, even though it kind of seems chaotic from my vantage point, that everything that God designs is purposeful. And maybe you have some moments in your own life that you can look back on where you were obeying Jesus and it didn't really make sense and then all of a sudden you're exactly where you need to be, right? Or you have this like crazy plot twist in your life and it leads you to making this friend and then this connection and then it leads to a job and then it leads to this new trajectory or this new relationship or a family or something. But you've been able to witness how God has taken your plan, totally hijacked it, thrown it on its head and then it's even better and you're in your happy ending. And so it's really important that we remember these kind of stories. I think when God is always talking to the Israelites of remember, 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 it's because when we forget that God is trustworthy, when we forget the ways that he has carried us through, we just spiral ourselves into anxiety all the time. And he's like, don't you remember two weeks ago when we had that moment, when we had that breakthrough? Remember, remember, remember. That's why like, I love testimony times because it postures our heart to remember when God has been good. 
because he has been trustworthy. And we have this huge track record of God showing up. And if we lean into that, if we lean into the truth of that, then it can kind of save us or spare us from having this breakdown every time we come to these new big decisions or where we don't want to include him, where we can be like, no, I remember the last time when I included God that it worked out for me, that it went well. And then I can let that strengthen me. Or I can tell my friend, my neighbor, my sister, my brother in Christ, hey, here's a story about me of when I needed God to show up or when I needed God's direction or his vision and he showed up and changed the game. When I think of my life, particularly five years ago, I was a cocktail girl in Buckhead. And if you had told me I would ever be preaching, I would probably laugh at you. And then one little divine yes, and one little, I sense God leading here, and one little whatever, just change the trajectory of my life. And so I can lean on that story of God is good, and he is designing this fun story for my life. And God is good for you, and he's designing this fun story for your life. And so if you don't have a story like that, we're going to read one today, and it's going to be the Christmas story. According to the Christian calendar, we just got out of Christmas season three days ago, and so it wouldn't be proper to end the season without talking about Christmas. Um, and so in order for you to hear this story and hear it well, I'm going to need you to forget that you already know how it ends, you already know the story of Mary and Joseph, and it's like so boring and whatever. Like, I think sometimes we have scriptures that are so familiar to us that we get this lullaby effect, and we forget about the tension and the irony and how that person was a real living, breathing person walking through that in real time without perspective. And we just don't see ourselves in the story because we read it from this 2,000-year-away view. So this morning, I'm inviting you to sit in this story, and we're not going to read it, we're going to talk about it, but just to feel it how maybe they felt it. And so there's Mary and there's Joseph, and they have a good plan for their life. And so Mary is this virtuous woman and respected in her community, and she catches the eye of Joseph, who's also respected and righteous. And they have this like wonderful agenda of their life. If you were to look at Mary's New Year's resolutions, it would probably be something like get married and stay, um, become a mom, maybe do the Jewish version of like the white picket fence, 2.5 kids. And she has these great plans. And Joseph, he has these great plans. And then an angel invites Mary into a divine collaboration and she says yes. And we love that part, right? She says, yes, the best yes in the gospel. And then it leads her to being outcasted and misunderstood and people judging her virtue. Have you ever had a time where you've said yes to God and it's led you to being misunderstood? And then there's Joseph. Oh my goodness, poor Joseph. It's like life is just happening to him. He wanted to get married. He found this nice girl. She tells him that she's having a baby by the Holy Spirit. And he's like, Okay, that's real, that's real. And then an angel comes and doesn't even say, hey, do you want to be like the stepdad of God? He doesn't give him that option. He says like, hey, stay with Mary, stay with Mary. And so it doesn't even seem like he has much of a choice, right? So have you had life just happen to you and you didn't feel like you got to fully participate and you're like, God, why are you taking me on this crazy journey? And like, I have no say in the matter. Maybe you're like Joseph this morning. And so if that's not crazy enough, he says yes, and they get on, and that's good. And while he doesn't have much choice, he kind of has perspective now, but he's also misunderstood. Maybe he feels disappointed because this child won't be his own, but they get through it. And then they have this plot twist where they have to go back to his childhood home to Bethlehem. And Mary's like nine months pregnant, so that's definitely not a part of the plan. That's not a part of her birth plan, right? Like, I'm sure that that's not what she wanted for herself. And then to make matters worse, they don't even have space for them at the end. They have to have this baby in a manger. But then they have the child, right? So maybe they feel like, okay, we obeyed. We said yes. She took us on this crazy journey. Now we have the Savior. We have some semblance of normal. We look like a normal couple. There's no more exclusion. We're good. And then not long after that, an angel comes to Joseph in a dream and he tells him to flee to Egypt. And then later again, to flee to Galilee. 
and we think, see, Jesus, this is why we don't include you in our process. You are too wild. We would have never asked that for ourselves. We would have never wanted that, and none of it makes sense. And while Joseph and Mary did have prophecy, they didn't have the full story like we do. Just like you often don't have the full story of your own life. And so I think if they were to go back and read the story of their life, they would see this really powerful sentence scattered across the story. All throughout the story of Matthew, it says, this was done to fulfill the word of the prophets. This was done to fulfill the word of the prophets. And so Mary says yes to having God be a part of the design of her life, and she doesn't always understand it. She doesn't really get the mechanics of a divine um, incarnation of God, but God does. And the scripture says, unto a virgin, the Savior will be born. And then there's Joseph, who kind of seems like he gets dragged along the story, but he's also super important and invited. And so even though maybe he longed to have his first son in a traditional sense, and the things that he dreamed of weren't bad, It wasn't what God ordained because it says that through the line of Jesse, the Messiah was gonna come. And fun fact, that wasn't Mary. And so he was already included in the story. He brought something that was so important to the validation of God. And then they become refugees and being a refugee not once but twice, I can't even imagine how hard that is. And it feels chaotic and all over the place. But again, to fulfill the word of the scripture, out of Egypt I will call my son and he will be called a Nazarene. And so they end up doing all of these things and going on this crazy journey, but everything ends up to fulfill the scripture that is ahead of time. Everything that they do substantiates the claim to Jesus's Godship. And none of that was chaotic to God. Maybe to Mary, maybe to Joseph, definitely to the people watching, but none of it was chaotic to God. And so I take a lot of encouragement in that because some of the parts of my own story that seem to make the least amount of sense are the most strategic aspects of my story and the mission of my life. And some of the parts of your story that seem to make the least amount of sense and seem to be all over the place are strategic placements of the Father. And so when I think of God, he's like this creative genius that we can't even begin to understand. You think that you're saying yes to one little thing, but God is fulfilling promises and working through generations and working through lineages and doing something that is this huge network of glory. And he invites us to be a part of the process, which is so crazy. And so we have this little zoomed in focus and it seems like, we're mad and we're grumpy and we don't know what God wants, but he's like, if you could only see the tapestry I'm weaving, if you could only see the generations that you are going to change, that the friendships that you're gonna make, that the new job that I'm gonna call you to, if you could only see the ripple effects of what your yes looks like, then you would be fully bought in. You would be excited. And so God's strategy far exceeds ours. And it only seems crazy because we don't have vantage point. And so if we were to submit the agenda of our life to God, he would create something more beautiful than we ever could. And even though we don't have maybe a prophecy or hundreds of prophecies on our side, we do have the words of the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah 29, 11, people know this one, they lean on it a lot, where it says, I know the plans that I have for you says the Lord. Plans not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And so with that same intentionality, God has this marvelous, wonderful, exciting, fantastic plan for your life. And it's important that you know that, particularly today, because in a season in which the world is going out and they're making their own agenda and they're carving their own way, we as the body of God, we as the kingdom, get to be on the front end of this year and we get to posture ourselves and say, God, I wanna acknowledge you in all of my ways. I wanna acknowledge you in my finances. I wanna acknowledge you in my marriage. I want to acknowledge you and my friendships and how I show up and work. I want to acknowledge you in every area of my life, God. 
I want to co-create this life with you because I trust you and you are trustworthy. And so this morning, enable for you to say that. Maybe there's some blocks to you being able to say, God, I want to acknowledge you in all ways. And so I would love to be able to pray for you. And if we can have our prayer teams or whoever's going to come up to intercede, um, come up now. There's a few prayer points. And so if it's hard for you to acknowledge God in all of your ways and give God the design of your life, maybe it's because you have too tight control. Maybe you have this very strong vision and agenda and you need God to help you learn how to surrender. And guys, I'm not saying that your plans aren't good. And God's not saying that your plans aren't good and it's not bad to make plans. We are called to co-create. But when you try to put yourself above God, when you only accept Jesus as Savior and not the Lord of your life, then you're jipping yourself of an awesome experience. And so today, if maybe control is the thing that you need to pray through, then I invite you to come up and have someone pray alongside you with that. And then maybe it's not control that's your issue. Maybe you just really struggle with trust and you understand from a theology point of view or you have this head knowledge that you should trust God, but you don't feel it. You don't trust God in your heart where it really matters. And so this morning, I want to pray that God begins to just coax you into this loving relationship of trust that you see him as a trustworthy and a good father that you see his creative brilliance that he starts to bring stories in the gospel and the story of the bible and you see wow here's all the times that he's been really really good here's all the times that he has shown up and if you can't even find it in the Bible, just flip to the last page where we win, where the story ends good, and let that anchor you. And so this morning, if you need to pray for more trust, I'm right there with you, and we would love to pray for you with that. And then maybe it's not control that you have a problem with. Maybe, you know, you're open-handed with God, and maybe you trust him, but you don't know how to hear his voice. You don't know how to discern him or, or know what he's even asking you to do, what your next steps are. And so this year, we're going to move into a posture of prayer. And we're going to teach you how to hear the voice of God and how to speak to him and how to discern his will. And it's going to be beautiful. But this morning, I want to pray supernatural healing and hearing for you that God opens your ears and that you are able to hear his voice clear in ways that you haven't before. That when you open the scriptures, that you know what applies to you, that you know what he's calling you into. And so I wanna pray that you have this renewed vision and understanding of God in your own personal story, that you get this personal relationship with him. And so we're gonna move into a little bit of ministry time and the question that I would love for you to consider if you don't think that any of those three apply to you is just how can I consider God in all my ways? As we start this next year, what are the areas in your life that you feel God just like pushing in on? Where he says, I want to be Lord there. I want to be more than Savior. I want to lead you there. I want to be a part of that design in that area of your life. For some of us, it'll look really different. And so whatever your answer is, is between you and your creator. But we're going to just spend a little bit of time asking that question. And then I'll come up and I'll close us off in prayer. So again, if you want to pray for more trust, if you want to pray for a heart that can truly surrender to your heavenly father, or just a prayer to hear him clearly, we have it available for people to pray for you. And if you don't come up, that's okay, because I'll just pray for you anyway and intercede. And if you want to sit from the comfort of your seat, do that as well. And just begin to have an honest conversation with God. You get the gift today to give God your year from the start. You get the gift today to build and center your life around him to not keep coming to him at the end of the story, to not keep coming to him after you've tried your own ways, but to just give him the very beginning of the process. And it's a gift. 
And so I'll give you guys some time to pray and then I'll come up and close, but I am really excited for the ways that God is going to design your life this year. And I hope you are too. And so Father God, these are your people. This is your year and your world. I just pray that you hear the cries of their hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just begin to move over your people and that you give them clear vision, that you give them dreams and friends that say the thing they need to hear most. That you illuminate your word to them, God. Give them a hunger and a curiosity about how you're leading. Restore their faith and their trust in you. God, you are an ancient brilliance. Help us to see you clearly and to trust you wholeheartedly. Because you are trustworthy and you are good. And so God, I just send your people off in a posture of openness. the words that you spoke to them today may just begin to linger with them and re-preach to their spirits this week. When they open their schedule and their agendas, Holy Spirit, show up strong and guide them. And God, we love you and we thank you because it has already been your heart's desire to lead us and make us truly your people. So we're not asking for anything that you haven't already longed to do. And so we just stand, God, encouraged and full of faith and hope. We stand, God, with expectation of how you're going to move this year. We, your people, fully participate in the work of the kingdom, and we make ourselves available to you. your way. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.